tell you this. I went and got COVID tested on Friday, and it's negative, so it's not COVID. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but I am getting on an airplane at like 4 in the morning tomorrow, so uh, flying to West Virginia, uh, landing on the shortest runway in the United States in Charleston, West Virginia, which is on the cliff of a side of a mountain. Uh, so be in uh, a heavy, heavy prayer for me. If y'all would just set your alarm uh, about 6.30, 7 a.m., and start praying for me. I would greatly appreciate it. Amen. <laughs> would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Today we're going to be starting a new series for this, for this month, in the month of March. And it's called The Gospel. The Gospel. We're going to be talking about the gospel all month. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this series. It's just uh, something to me that, is, that has been... Uh, pumping through my spirit for probably the last couple of months and and digging into it in this way specifically because what we're going to be doing is talking about the gospel message uh, coming all the way up into Easter because the first Sunday of next month is Easter Sunday. Uh, so we're going to be talking about different segments of the gospel all the way up to Easter and then after Easter we're going to dive into what happened after the resurrection. So we're going to dive into what took place after Jesus was resurrected. So we're going to be talking about before he was crucified and died, uh, and, then we're, and then the resurrection, and then after what happened in, in the book of Acts, what took place uh, in the first church. So we're going to be diving into that uh, coming into the, the, uh, the weeks, the following weeks after Easter. So starting today in part one of the gospel, uh, kind of what I want to do is talk about uh, different, just highlight specific areas of Jesus's life in the gospel, in the New Testament, uh, coming into Easter. And today what I want to highlight is good news for us, which is temptation can be overcome. So we're going to be talking about how to overcome temptation today. And How many of you are excited about that? Amen. Half of y'all admitted you get tempted. The other half didn't. That's okay. Are you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? So I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and it reads like this. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. I'm reading from the NLT, which says good news. If you were reading from the King James or New King James or uh, a couple of the other versions, it would say gospel there, but I specifically chose the NLT for this phrasing. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you, unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, and, and this is the most important portion because this is an outline of that good news. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scripture said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for just ushering into this place today. I thank you, Father, that uh, for, the, for the work that you did in our ladies' event all weekend long and, and the hearts that you mended and the minds that you touched and the emotions and everything that you did this weekend, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that uh, you didn't leave out Sunday, Lord, but you, you showed right up and, and, and just moved us in this place today. Lord, I pray that as we dig into this word today and into your scripture, let it be, uh, let it be firmly planted in our hearts. Let our hearts be tilled up and ready to receive what you have for us in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. 
So Paul, in this moment, writes specifically what the gospel entails in this scripture. He talks about specifically what the gospel entails. Number one, he talks about Jesus is the Christ. How many of you know that Christ was not Jesus' last name? Right? Christ, Christ wasn't the last name of Jesus, but Jesus was the Christ, and the Christ means that he was the Messiah. He was, he was what all of the Jews had been hoping and waiting for for generations and generations and years and years and years. They had been foretold by prophets of a forecoming Messiah, and he was that Messiah. That's the good news, right? That's the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah. And then secondly, the Messiah came to die for our sins. He came to take our place. So for anything that we had ever done wrong, anything that, that we uh, could possibly do wrong, Christ died on a cross to take our place for what we deserve. Christ took the place of what we deserve. That is good news. Amen? Then he was buried in a borrowed tomb. How many of you know uh, he didn't need it long, y'all? Right. He, listen, if he's going to raise in three days, he didn't need to buy a plot. Right. He didn't even need to order a headstone. Amen. All, all he needed to do was just borrow a place for his body to lay for three days until he was resurrected. So he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then on the third day, y'all, he was raised from the dead. That's something to be excited about today. That's something to shout about because that's the gospel message. That the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings came down from heaven, lived on this earth, offered himself in our place for what we deserve, took, took our punishment, died on a cross, was buried, and then three days later was resurrected with the keys to death in the grave. Amen? That, that Jesus overcame all of that for us, and that is the gospel message. That's the gospel message in a nutshell. But as we dig into part one of the gospel today, I want to take a moment just to, just to dig a little deeper deeper and to unpack a little more about what the gospel is. Uh, the word gospel, if you haven't figured out by now, means good news. Amen? That's why I chose the NLT version, because in place of gospel there, it literally says good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. The word gospel was used in the Greek culture before Jesus came, but became synonymous with Jesus and Christianity. So in the, in the Greek culture, they used the word gospel on a regular basis to say good news. Hey, I've got some gospel for you. Hey, hey, I've got some gospel for you. Maybe that's not the way they said it. I'm a little countryer than the Greeks maybe. Uh, but but uh, they, would, they would basically say, hey, I've got some good news, right? And then when Jesus came, his entire life on this earth became good news. When Jesus came, it was good news that he came. It was good news what he did while he was here. It was good news that he took our place on the cross. And it was good news that he didn't stay dead. But we serve a Lord of Lords and a King of Kings who, who, who conquered death in the grave, who was resurrected three days later, hung out with his peeps for a little while, and then went ahead and ascended on into heaven to sit on the right side of the Father. Amen. And then he's not just sitting there relaxing at this point, but he is interceding for you and me because he is our high priest. Amen. That's more good news. This is stuff that happens in our life and, it, and it's good news, right? So we even use the word gospel today uh, as changed by Christianity to not only describe good news, but describe something that's empirically true, right? 
We use the gospel. It was, it was changed by Christianity. It was changed by Jesus the way the word was used to be something that's empirically true. Has anybody in this room, maybe, uh, maybe culture has changed a little bit, but over the last 50 years used the word, no, that's the gospel. Right? We, we say something like that. When we say, no, that's, that's empirically true, we'll say, no, that's the gospel, right? Because it became synonymous. So not only did Jesus overtake the word, the gospel, to mean good news, but he also overtook it and changed it to mean something that's empirically true. That means that everything that Jesus did, as, 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 as wild as it sounds, and that's why I had Pastor Brad and, and his beautiful wife Dana do the skit, because it, it sounds like just a wild story. You're like, man, i got to see that movie. That, that, that just sounds amazing, right? But everything that happened that's just supernatural and incredible of what Jesus did for you and me is empirically true. It's empirically true. It's good news for us. But part of that good news is it's also true. It's not fantasy. It's not something that we read. It's not something that we saw on TV that was thought up by creators and, and writers and producers and people in, in, in uh, Washington, people in Hollywood, right? And maybe Washington too, I don't know. But pe people all over the place, you know, that have thought up these movie lines and all of this kind of stuff. And then we watch it and then we walk out of the theater going, woo, that was a good movie. But you know, in your heart, there ain't no way that was true, right? You're like, you're like, that was a great movie. It really excited me. But as you leave, you know, well, that couldn't really happen, right? And, and that's not really true. Uh, but the good news about the gospel is it's such a supernatural story with supernatural elements and amazing parts to it, and yet it is empirically true. You can hang your hat on that, right? How many of you just look at your neighbor right now and say, that's the gospel? And look back at him and say, that's the truth. Amen. So that is the gospel, and that is the truth. So when we say, no, I promise that's a gospel, and then in the Christian circles, we use the word gospel for many different things. We talk about gospel music, right? And, ooh, I like me some gospel music, right? We talk about black gospel music. Ooh, I, I like some black gospel music. Uh, I'm, I'm working on Brad to get a little more soul deep down in there, right? I want some, some, some black gospel music. We got to get him a fade and, 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 some, and some Nike Jordans or something, man, to get that gospel out of him. But we like that gospel music. But then some of y'all in the room are like, but I like southern gospel music. And listen, I do too sometimes. Yeah, I like that southern gospel too on occasion. Uh, you listen to that. Um, and maybe this contemporary gospel that you're listening to, right? And you man, I just love contemporary gospel. And we play a lot of that. And we'll have it playing in the foyer when you come in on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or, or different events, right? We love contemporary gospel. You might like hip-hop gospel, right? And, and you just like, man, I, I love to dance. I like to wear my hat backwards. I like hip-hop gospel, right? <laughs> maybe that's where you're at. And I think the backwards hat thing might be like about 20 years ago, though, right? Yeah, I'm sorry. I've shown my age, Nate. It's all right, man. So, so the gospel, we, we use it in many different ways, but empirically every portion of it, everything that we're talking about, and even when we label our music gospel, even when we label our music gospel, it's still talking about and pointing back to one thing, and that's who? Jesus Christ. Because black gospel music points to Jesus. Southern gospel music points to Jesus. Hip-hop music in a roundabout way points back to Jesus, right? <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm playing. Where's Pastor Eddie at? I'm, I'm playing on his hip-hop, right? So it's just stuff that points back to Jesus, right? So, so there's also four books in the Bible that are known as the Gospels. 
right? And, and we talk about those four books. We read out of them pretty regular. Each author was uh, describing his experience with Jesus Christ during the time that he was on the earth. And that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? And, and usually if you read your Bible, if you don't just uh, jump to a verse and read, but maybe if you have a study Bible and it starts off in the beginning, you go to the first page of Matthew, it might say, this is the gospel according to Matthew, right? Or this is the gospel according to Luke. Uh, it's, it's different ways, right, that, that we read the gospels, but those gospel uh, word is attached to all of them. Uh, so we use the word regularly, but also there's four aspects of the gospel. There's four aspects. Number one, this is the very first aspect of the Bible or of the gospel, and it's God the creator. The first aspect of the gospel is God the creator. God the Holy Trinity. That's the first aspect of the gospel. The second aspect of the gospel is man. So you have God the creator, and then you have man the created. And when I talk about man, I mean mankind, men and women, right? That God created men and women. Uh, we sinned in the garden almost immediately. We didn't make it long, y'all. God gave us some direction, told us what to do. And in the first couple of pages of this entire Bible, we messed it up. Right? We didn't make it long. We sinned in the garden. We needed salvation. The third portion of that is the Christ. That's the Messiah. He's the one. He's the Son of God that was sent to save us. He's the one who was sent to offer salvation. That's the third aspect of the gospel. The fourth aspect is this. What is my response? What is my response to the gospel? So you have the first aspect, which is God the creator. Second aspect is mankind who messed it up in sin. Third aspect is Jesus Christ who came down from heaven to fix things and, and to save us and to, and to build a bridge and offer us a way to get from where we were to where we need to be. He offered a way for us to find eternal life. Amen. How many of you are excited that we get eternal life when we depend upon Jesus? How many of you are excited to know that this, this messed up pandemic of a planet uh, is not where we have to spend our eternity, right? We get to go, we get to, go to, to Jesus. We get to go to heaven, right? And we do that because of what Jesus did. So the third part is, is Christ the Messiah. The fourth part is how do we respond to the gospel uh, when we hear it? Now, can I tell you that responding to the gospel is more than just getting saved? Responding to the gospel is more than just saying a prayer on a Sunday morning when Pastor Steve says, man, if there's anybody in here that needs to receive Christ right now before you leave this place, would you just raise your hand? It's more than that. Responding to the gospel is taking those next steps. Responding to the gospel is responding to the gospel in its entirety, not just the moment of salvation, but what comes after salvation, right? There's different words like justification. There's different words like uh, sanctification. You know, there, there's things that come after salvation. There's things that we need to focus on and, and think about. So our response to the gospel, I want to tell you today, is continuous, it's continuous. It's not something we, we set it and forget it, right? I can't even remember what, uh, what commercial that was. There was some commercial that, that always said, just set it, and then the whole crowd went, and eh, forget it, right? It was probably some cooking commercial because I watch that stuff sometimes. Uh, but it's, it, the response to the gospel is not a set it and forget it moment. It's not a moment that we get saved and then, whoo, I'm saved, now what? Well, I just go about my life, right? But the response of the gospel is, is that we every day we respond to something that Christ wants. Every day we respond to something we've read in the gospel. Every day we respond to the Holy Spirit moving on us, right? Every day we respond to those things. So I want to focus uh, for a few moments uh, throughout the course of this month on, on Jesus' ministry on earth 
So over the next few weeks, coming into Easter, we're going to talk about each one. Today, as I said, uh, the good news is that through Christ, we can overcome temptation. Somebody say amen. How many of you, everybody in this room deals with temptation, right? And I'm not going to, yeah, okay, go ahead. Some of y'all are bold. You're like, I do, I do. You know, I was going to say, you don't have to raise your hand, but hey, you already did, so you're, you're good. So temptation, uh, listen, everybody in this room deals with temptation, but how many of you know we all deal with different temptations, right? Uh, your temptation might not tempt me. My temptation might not tempt you, right? Uh, listen, you could lay down some crack and a lighter in front of me, and I would not be tempted to smoke it. Right, it's just something that's not tempting to me. Right, I, I've seen too many crackheads. Right, I, I don't want to be a, a crackhead. I don't want to act like that. So, so if if I if you laid down some crack in front of me, that's not going to tempt me, y'all. You could throw it on my desk. I'd come in on Monday morning and be like, "What's this?" and just sweep it off in the trash. Right, because I don't I don't get tempted by that. Now, listen, if you offer me some gravy and biscuits. I am trying to eat better, y'all, but it, listen, you got to get that mindset first before you start shedding the pounds. I, I'm still working on the mindset. I, I'm, I'm into that. But biscuits and gravy are a temptation to me. If I drive through McDonald's and it's 10 o'clock at night, I, I still see the biscuits and gravy on the menu, and I'm like, well, that looks pretty good, right? I told y'all before, man, some days when I miss the gym, I'm like, well, I missed the gym. I already screwed up. Now I'm just going to go make some biscuits and gravy, right? I'm just going to eat biscuits and gravy because I didn't make it to the gym. That's a temptation for me, right? Now, obviously, there's other temptations that everybody deals with, and I'm kind of making light of it. But everybody in this room has a temptation that you struggle with. Everybody in this room has a temptation, man, that you just right now, behind the scenes, when we're talking about temptation, it's popping up in your mind right now. It may be not anything that you've talked to anybody about or anything that you've said anything about or anything. It may be something that embarrasses you so deeply right now, just in your, like your face might be turning red because you're thinking about it. But it's a temptation that the enemy has placed before you that you deal with on a regular basis. But can I tell you today that just because a temptation is placed in front of you does not mean you have to give in to it. It does not mean that you have to accept it, right? So, so is, is being tempted a sin? No. Being tempted is not a sin. Falling into temptation is a sin, right? If Jesus lived a sinless, flawless life in a, in a, in a flaw-filled world, as Dana spoke earlier, if Jesus lived that life and yet he was tempted, right? And yet the Bible says that he was tempted and yet Jesus was without sin. That means that the devil, y'all, is not going to stop tempting you, right? The devil's always going to throw temptations your way. There's always going to be moments of temptation in your life. But through Christ Jesus, through our Lord of Lords and our King of Kings, through him, we can always overcome temptation. Amen? Amen. Oscar Wilde was a famous author uh, from back in the day, and he said this, I can resist everything except temptation. Right, and that's kind of a funny line, but if you get if you jump into the fullness of the quote, right? I, I read that quote and I thought that's hilarious. I'm gonna use that in my message. And then I read the fullness of the quote and went, Oh, that's not so funny. Here's the fullness of his quote. He also said the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. Because your soul grows sick with longing for the things it has forbidden itself. Can I tell you that's how the world views it? Can I tell you today that that's, that's how the world and, and the, the Satan's domain and the kingdom of the enemy, that's how they view it? That, man, you might as well just give into it because it's something that you're never going to overcome. 
right? You're always going to be struggling with this, so you might as well just give in to it. There's a, there's a famous Christian artist, uh, Ray Bolts, who wrote some amazing, amazing music, y'all. He wrote some incredible music in the 80s and the 90s. And then yet he came out uh, as a homosexual and he said, uh, listen, I've been tempted by this all my life. I figured the only way to get rid of it was to give in to it. Right. And, and can I tell you, that's a lie from the kingdom. That's a lie from the kingdom. Just because you're tempted with something doesn't mean that you have to live that way. Right. Christ will help you overcome that temptation. And then he'll also listen. y'all. He'll also help you to lessen that temptation over time. Right. That if we do the right things, if we allow him to move on us the way that that he wants to. And listen to this. uh, If we operate in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Right. That means you keep yourself out of situations where those temptations are going to be the hardest. Right. Listen, if you struggle with keeping your pants on when you're on a date, you don't need to be on a date alone. Uh, You don't need to be somewhere where your pants could possibly come off. Right. You meet in the middle of Pizza Hut because chances of you taking off your pants in Pizza Hut are pretty slim. I'm sorry. I, was, I, I thought I was talking to a young adult conference tonight. <laughs> Today. But listen, if something is tempts you, right? It, and honestly, I joked about crack earlier, but if crack's a temptation, you stay out of certain neighborhoods, right? You don't go to certain houses. You don't hang out with certain people, right? You get yourself out of the area. Uh, we're going we're gonna to dig into the scripture in a minute, but God always makes a place of escape for us. Amen. Amen. So let's talk about our temptations for a moment. I'm going to take, we're going to start in this row. I'm going to have each of you come up and just share what your temptation is. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that this morning, right? I'm not even going to tell you what all mine are, right? I, I gave you biscuits and gravy. That's all you're getting, right? So, so it, temptations are personal. It's embarrassing. And sometimes because it's embarrassing and personal and something that we struggle with and something that we deal with, then we just say, you know what, uh, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm not even going to pray about it. I'm just going to tuck it over here and try to fight this thing on my own. Right. But can I tell you, that's the trick of the enemy. So the enemy wants you to get alone, get by yourself and try to fight it under your own power. But Christ says that you don't have to. Jesus says that you don't have to try to do it alone. Matter of fact, he says that you can't do it alone. Right. But through him. You can do anything. Amen? Amen. So the world's design for people is to give in to every desire the flesh has. That's why the world is broken. That's why the world is broken. So, so listen, uh, follow your heart. That's a saying from the world. That's not biblical. Right? The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Right? So, so follow your heart is a world saying that says, you know, I've been arguing with this thing in my mind. I've been fighting this thing in my head. I'm just going to follow my heart. Obviously, my heart knows best. No, it don't. Listen, listen. your heart does not know best, okay? If, if that came out of your mouth recently, repent. <laughs> your heart does not know best, okay? Your heart is deceitful above all things. Don't follow your heart. Uh, listen, young people coined a phrase a little a few years ago, and it might be old and outdated now, but I still hear it on occasion, YOLO, right? You only live once. You might as well do it. That's why we're in a broken world with a broken society filled with sin, filled with all the things that that people deal with in society. Because you only live once is 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 a phraseology of the kingdom of Satan. You might as well go ahead and just do all you want to do because you only live once. Right. That's a that's a kingdom of Satan mentality. The new YOLO is do you boo. Right. We heard that at this conference, didn't we? We, we heard that over the weekend. Just do you, boo. And, and what they said about that is don't do you, boo. Whatever you do, do Jesus. 
Okay, we're not called to do you. You're not called to follow your heart. You're not called to follow like what Oscar Wilde says, quit denying your soul what it wants. Uh, you, you stop all of that and you do Jesus. You, you follow Jesus. You do what Jesus says to do. You open up the books of the Bible and you begin to read. And when you follow and when you read something in there that you're not being obedient to, you turn around and you repent and you start being obedient to it. Right. We, we listen. What? I'm right there with you, right? We're people, and sometimes we read something in the Bible, and we're like, you know, that, that kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. You know, Lord, uh, I'm just not so sure about that. Lord, I'll follow you over here, but that one, man, that one's tough, so I'm just going to pretend I didn't see it, Lord. Uh, but listen, once you know it, you're accountable for it, right? Once you know what God wants for your life, you're accountable for it. So when we read something in Scripture, we shouldn't just skip it and move on and try to forget it, but we should apply it to our life and start to pray, Lord, this is a tough one for me, and I don't know how to do this, but Lord, you do. Lord, this is a hard situation for me, and I don't know how to get through it, but Lord, you do. Father, would you just move on me and give me the power and the strength to say no in these situations? Lord, would you just move on me and give me the power and the strength to shut my mouth in these situations? Lord, would you move on me and give me the power and strength to stop gossiping in the mighty name of Jesus? Lord, when I want to gossip and talk about somebody, Lord, help me to just stop and pray for them instead. Lord, shutteth my moutheth today in King James Version. Lord, help me to be quiet, right? And when I want to scream and yell and cuss and shout and act a fool in Walmart because somebody stepped on my toe lord help me to keep my mouth shut and say bless you in the name of jesus right help me to do this father and you know what god will help you with every single one of those areas i think sometimes that we think because god is so holy and because god is so awesome and because god is so big that man i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to bother him with my little trifling stuff you know i don't want to bother him with with my little stuff i'm dealing with over here you know, that's just, that's just too big. You know, I get, mad at, I get mad at cashiers and I throw stuff across the belt. You know, but I don't want to bother God with that. Can I tell you, God is bothered with that. Right? If you get mad and mistreat people in public and you call yourself a Christian, God is bothered with that. God wants you to get it straight and get it right. So don't think it's too small to bother God with because if God's always already bothered with it, it's not too small. Right? It's something, listen, all of us get angry. All of us get irritated. All of us have moments of frustration, but how we deal with it is whether it's sin or not, right? How we respond to it, the same way we respond to the gospel. So, we dig into those areas. I want to turn with me to Luke chapter 3 really quick. We're going to dig into uh, Jesus' temptation for 40 days. So reading in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 21, and again, I'm, I'm using the NLT today. Uh, that's what's on the screen. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And he was praying, the heavens opened, and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus was about 30 years old. When he began his public ministry. Turn over to, to chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 1 to continue the story here. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Say then. This was right after his public baptism. This was right after his father announced from heaven, uh, this is my son and I am so, so pleased with him. 
This is right after in front of a crowd of people, uh, the Lord gave accolades to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is, this is when he was baptized in front of people. And then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. How many of you know that's the most understated verse in the Bible? He didn't eat nothing for 40 days, and he was hungry, right? They could have used famished. I don't know. They could have thrown something else in there, right? But, but Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. So the devil began to tempt Jesus at the time that he was the weakest after fasting for 40 days. Did you notice that the devil didn't show up on day one? Do you notice when he was full of the Holy Spirit and been baptized and had just conversed with his father openly in public and everybody was like, oh man, that's God's voice talking from the clouds right now, right? He noticed the devil didn't show up in that first day, but he waited until Jesus had fasted and prayed for 40 days and it says that his body was weak and he was famished, he was hungry. And in that moment, the devil says, ah, here's my opportunity. Here's my time. And he starts to, to come in and begins to tempt Jesus. And the first thing he does is tempt him with what? Gravy and biscuits. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. He, he said, turn this stone into a loaf of bread. He's basically saying, if you're the son of God, and if you're who uh, they say you are, and you're hungry and you haven't eaten for 40 days, why don't you go ahead and use the power to take care of yourself? Why don't you go ahead and do that? If, let's, let's see a little power show there. Why don't you go ahead and turn this rock into a loaf of bread just so you can take care of yourself and feed yourself. And Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Right? Jesus said, no. The scriptures say. That's the, one of the most important parts of this entire story. In that moment of temptation, when the devil is trying to hit him at his weakest moment, he says, no, the scriptures say man does not live by bread alone, right? Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. How many of you know this is happening in a spiritual realm in this moment, right? He took him up and he said, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, I will give you the glory of all of these kingdoms and authority over them. And the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will yet just bow down and worship me. And that's what the devil said to Jesus. He's offering him glory and health in that moment. How did Jesus reply? It is written. Right, if you, if you have certain versions in here, uh, certain Bible versions would say, it is written. That's the way I, I learned it and memorized it. This, this version says, the scriptures say, which is the same way to say, it is written. Right, The scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. So he comes to him and he begins to try to tempt and entice Jesus. And Jesus is responding every time with scripture. Jesus is responding with scripture. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, ah, what happened? Who, who just said, for the scriptures say? Y'all weren't paying attention. Some of y'all were. Who just said, for the scriptures say? Shout it out. It's all right. We're a Pentecostal church. You can yell. So who did he just, the devil? You mean the devil quotes scripture? You mean the devil knows the Bible? You, you, wait. You mean to tell me 
that the devil will take a scripture out of context, mess up with it, twirl it around, put his little junk on it, and try to feed it into your ears to, to tell you that you're doing the right thing when you aren't? What? Are you kidding me? Y'all preaching this sermon? You mean the devil knows the Bible? And if the devil knows the Bible, does that mean he won't mess with your head? Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You know what the, you know what the enemy was trying to do? He was trying to out Jesus before his time. He was trying to get people to recognize who he was so that Jesus wouldn't go through with being uh, beaten and dragged through the streets and hung on a cross and died for our behalf because the devil understood and knew his future was coming. And if Jesus had followed God's plan, then there was going to be a plan of salvation for you and me. And we wouldn't go to hell with the devil, but we get an opportunity to go to heaven with Christ. Right? And because he knew that, he was trying to twist it up and change it in the moment. Because can I tell you today, that's what the enemy does in your life. He talks to you and twists it up, and sometimes he will appear as an angel of light. Sometimes, aha, I've got the answer for you. And he'll read the scripture, but if you pay attention close enough, then you'll understand and know that that is not from God. You'll understand and know. But guess what? You, you, you mean I've got to know the scripture so when the devil twists the scripture, I can catch the, the twisting of the scripture, right, so that I can understand that that's, this is getting complicated, Pastor Steve. No, it's not really. It's pretty simple. Why We read our word. We spend time in prayer. We, we, we hang out with the Holy Spirit. We don't shut off the Holy Spirit in our life, but we listen to the Holy Spirit. We let the Holy Spirit talk to us, and when he talks to us, we're obedient to the Holy Spirit. Right. Uh, my wife said something uh, over the course of this conference when she closed the conference. She said, you know, I've come to realize uh, in years of being um, kind of uh, not works based, but but thinking that I had to work hard and do all these things to please God. I've come to, to recognize and realize that really it's very simple. All I have to do is be obedient. That the Holy Spirit inside of you will remind you of Scripture. And you say, well, Pastor Steve, man, I've got a horrible memory. I drink too many Diet Cokes, and I just I can't remember stuff. You know, so it's hard for me to recall memories like that and, and, and scriptures. You know, And I'm, I'm Google dependent, and I just got to go to Google. And I remember a couple of lines of the scriptures. So I look it up in Google, and then it come forward. Can I tell you today that the Holy Spirit will bring full scriptures to your memory when you need them the most? If you're in relationship with him, if you're listening to him. Right? He'll bring full scriptures to you in the moment when you need it. And you'll be like, I didn't even know I had that memorized. You didn't, honey. The Holy Spirit did. Right? Holy Spirit brought it to your memory in that moment. But the same thing, if you, if you just grab a hold of the Holy Spirit and you let him lead you in life and you're just obedient to him, then everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. Amen? So, so he says all of this, and Jesus responded to him, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. So in all of this, every time they tempted Jesus, can, 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 you, can we just say, you know, that Jesus didn't have to do all that? Can we just say that Jesus is the Lord of lords and the king of kings, and at any point in time he could have snapped his fingers and just broke the devil's neck right there? 
Can we say that he's all-powerful and it's not an even fight by any stretch of the imagination? Can we tell you that uh, unlike the Mormons teach that the devil and Jesus are not twin brothers fighting over uh, light and darkness? Can I tell you today it's all twisted scripture? And the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Then why, Pastor Steve, would he let the devil just mess with them like that? Because it is written. Because Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father never does anything to contradict the word of God. Jesus knew the plan. He stuck with the plan because he loved you and me enough not to wild out and snap his neck right there in the minute. He loves you and me enough to follow through the plan. Even in the moment when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was such a rough moment, and he asked, Lord, because he was 100% man and 100% God. He came, he came to earth in, a, in an earthly body, right? It wasn't a glorified body. He was in a, an earthly body, but he was God. And he said, Father, if there be any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, then take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And in this moment in the garden, we recognize and we understand and we realize that Jesus loved us so much. That's good news of the gospel, church. He loved us so much that he said, you know, I'm going to take that cup. I'm going to drink that cup even though I don't even want to. And then we've got to love him in return enough that when the Holy Spirit says, do this, do that, we say, yes, sir. I'm going to do it. Is this what you want from me, Lord? I'm going to do it. Right? So in this moment, Jesus doesn't contradict Scripture, but instead fulfills Scripture and says these things. You must not test the Lord your God. And when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. You know what that means? He'll be back. You might have won this one. You might have won this moment, this trial, this temptation that came on your life. You might have won this one, but guess what? He'll be back. So what's the point of it? Is that everyone you, you win and everyone you overcome strengthens you for the next one that might be coming your way. Every single one of them. Amen? So then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Jesus began his ministry. Isn't it incredible that Jesus only had a ministry for three years on this planet? Three years. Out of all the years of this planet, three years Jesus had a ministry and changed everything. Everything. And a couple thousand years later, we're sitting in a room this morning worshiping him for what he did in the three years that he was on this planet. Amen? It's incredible. So, so the word translated tempt here, if, if you really dig into it, uh, the same word often pops up in the Bible translated into trial. So a moment of temptation or a long-standing temptation is actually a long-standing trial. We dig in, and I said that uh, nothing in the Bible contradicts itself. Well, this is one of those times that you've got to dig a little bit because James 1.13 says this, and remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. And yet in verse 1 of what we just said, it said that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right? So at first glance, it seems like it would be a contradiction in Scripture, but the truth be known, it's not a contradiction in Scripture because God led Jesus into the wilderness, but the devil did the tempting. 
So does that mean to me, church, that sometimes God will allow you to go through a season of temptation and a season of struggle and a season of trial? Because that word is, is written two different ways. It can be tempt or it can be trial. That God will allow you to go through seasons of struggle so that he can build up your character for what's coming next. Amen. God will allow you to go through some stuff so you know what's happening next. So when you're struggling with temptation, the Bible says, don't ever ask God, God, why do you tempt me? Because God tempts no one or leads anybody into actually falling into temptation. But God will allow times where you fall into a, a season of trial. So the right question there might not be, God, why are you tempting me? But God, why are you trying me? God, why are you trying me in this season? God, why are you allowing me to be tempted by this in this season? God, why are you allowing the devil and his, and his minions and his horde to come into, into my life in this season and tempt me and try me in this way? God, why are you doing it? And I can answer that question with a couple of simple words. It's because of what's next. Why don't you look at your neighbor today and say, what's next? You might be struggling today, and if you're struggling today with temptation, and temptation is so strong, I don't even know if I can deal with it. And temptation and trials so hard that, man, it's coming down hard on my head, and I'm struggling with it today, Pastor Steve. Can I ask you today to ask God, because I'm going through this, what's next? God, what do you have for me next? God, obviously I'm going through this season and this trial for a reason, because, God, you don't allow anything to happen just because. But everything that happens is for a reason. God is very, uh, 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 I've lost the word, but, but God makes sure that everything happens for a reason, right? Everything, he's intentional. That was the word I was looking for. So when you're struggling with temptation, ask God, why are you trying me? What's next in my life, Lord? Begin to pray about what's coming around the corner. Because if you can focus on what God has for you, you won't have to focus on the temptation that the devil's putting before you. You can change your focus. So it's hard to imagine in this moment uh, Jesus having to prepare because we know who he is, right? But he's going through a trial. He's going through a, a series of testing, but we know who Jesus is. And it's like, why would Jesus have to prepare? Because in everything that God does and everything that Jesus did in the three years on this planet was to show us what we're supposed to do was to show us how we're supposed to do it. So there's some good news and some bad news. The good news is this. If you struggle heavily with temptation, it's indicative of a great calling on your life. If you sit here today and you say, man, my temptations are rough, then you, you have a great calling on your life. And the, listen, the enemy don't mess with, with somebody that he doesn't have to worry about. If the enemy ain't trying to take you out, uh, you need to probably dig deeper in your word and get your focus more on what you need to be doing for God and his kingdom. But if the enemy's trying to take you out, rest in this. It's good news because it's indicative of the great calling that's on your life. But here's the bad news. If you give over to the temptation, there's so much more to lose. So if you're tempted greatly and yet you give over to the temptation... If you're tempted greatly, you've got a great calling on your life. And if you give over to the temptation, there's so much more to lose. Because I hate to tell you this, church, because I know you're accountable for it once you hear it. So if you don't want to be accountable, just plug your ears and go la, 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 la. If God is, it, it, if there's something that the devil is trying to do to you, right, and, and you're just struggling with it and dealing with it, Every time that you fall into that, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting who God has planned for you to minister to and help down the road. 
Because every single one of us are ministers, right? I'm the preacher. I'm up here preaching on Sunday, but I'm preaching to a crowd of ministers. And when you leave here today, you start ministering. My job is to effectively prepare you to go out and minister and teach and preach the gospel. That's my job. You're not supposed to come here and get filled up and fat on the gospel and then keep it to yourself. Your job is to come here, get filled up, and then go hand it out. All right, so all through the week. So, so if you are struggling and dealing with a temptation that you continually give into, I'm going to put some heaviness on you for a moment, right? But it's just a moment. Your giving into that temptation is holding back uh, things that God is trying to use you for to affect people's lives in the kingdom. But don't hold on to that heaviness. Realize and understand it's heavy, but now repent. God, I'm sorry I, I gave into this area of my life. Lord, give me the strength. Give me the power to, to not fall into that again. Lord, show me what's next. Show me that when, when I'm ready to walk in your calling and what you have for me and your purpose, we just came out of a whole series on purpose. When I'm ready to walk in the purpose that you have for me, God, show me, give me a glimpse of the future. That, I say that to God a lot. Lord, just give me a small glimpse of the reason I'm going through this struggle. Lord, give me a small glimpse. Give me something to, to focus on that I can see, aha, there's a reason behind this. And then it'll give me the strength to fight it off to continue to move forward. Amen? So it's hard to imagine Jesus having to prepare because Jesus was God. Jesus is God. But yet, the Bible says that he was fully man and yet fully God. Well, Pastor Steve, I don't understand that. Guess what? I don't understand it either. We, we can all stand around in our human intellect and try to explain it. And there's lots of professors and people who probably do a way better job explaining it than me. But when the truth comes down to it, we don't understand fully the ways of God. And if we did understand fully the ways of God, you wouldn't need them. So the truth is we don't fully understand the ways of God. But, but in this moment, we, we recognize that God was fully man. Je Jesus was fully God. Jesus was fully man. And I know this. You and I aren't him. Aren't you thankful? <laughs> some people in this room got a Jesus complex but that doesn't mean that you're Jesus <laughs> just raise no I'm just kidding <laughs> some people feel like they gotta be Jesus you, you don't, you, you make mistakes, you fail you fall, you repent, you get back up a righteous man falls seven times and seven times he gets right back up right, so recognize and understand you're not Jesus, you don't have to be perfect but you have to be perfected you don't have to be perfect but you have to walk with the Holy Spirit continually perfecting you until the day comes where you get a glorified body and you enter into heaven and you don't deal with any temptations or struggles or sins any longer. Right? It's, it's about our walk with Jesus. It's about, it's about being obedient. Being obedient. Amen? So, so right after Jesus' baptism, right after his blessing, came trial. Right after the blessing, came trial. Pastor Steve, I gave my heart to Jesus two weeks ago, and I've been, I've been through it all ever since. Guess what? Jesus knows what you're talking about. Jesus knows what your struggle is. I had a young man in my office a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if he's here today, and I'm not outing him or, or anything, but, man, uh, it, was, it was just a few months ago. He was in this altar, and we were praying over him, and he was getting delivered and set free from some things. And then the next time I saw him, those things had had him just wrapped up, and, and he, was, he couldn't even think straight or, or figure out what to do to move forward. 
And can I tell you today that when you get set free, when you get saved, when you get the blessing, when you get those moments that God has shown up big time in your life, uh, don't be prideful and don't say, well, I have arrived. I don't need Jesus any longer. Right? Or I got saved. Thank you, Jesus. I'll talk to you, you know, when you come back. Right? But, but say every single day I recognize my need for him. Every single day I recognize that I humbly got to get on my knees and give him praise and thanks. And then every single day I thank the Lord for the Holy Spirit that lives within us that gives us right from wrong and talks to us and teaches us and moves us along this path of life. Because without him, we would sure take the wrong path a lot of times. But when we're obedient to him, he does the right thing. He helps us to do the right thing. So God the Father just said, I'm pleased with my son. Then he started his earthly ministry. This is, this is for y'all perfectionists and, and the people who think they have to earn the love of God. God the Father spoke down from heaven and said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus started his ministry. And some people think if they're not doing for God, then God doesn't love them as much. Can I tell you that God loves you so much? Jesus loves you so much right where you are in this moment that he gave his only begotten son to die in your behalf so that you might be saved if you just believed in him. God loves you so much. Now, so then, Pastor Steve, why do we give and why do we tithe and why do we uh, teach and why do we go to Sunday school and why do we come to church? Because we love him. We do these things because we love him. Amen? Amen. So, so this is something that we need to know. Tempted from different perspectives. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this to close. Pastor Bragg, come, come help me. So there's, there's a few different perspectives on temptation. This is the divine perspective. The divine, divine perspective is this. It's an opportunity for growth. When you're tempted, God's position on your temptation is that this is an opportunity for my child to grow. This is an opportunity for my, chi- my child to come through this trial, come out on the other side with more character than he or she had before. This is an opportunity. The devil's perspective is this is an enticement to sin to cause you to fall. So the devil's perspective is I'm going to put something out there that's so good that they can't say no to it. I'm going to put something out there that pulls on their soul so hard that they feel like they just have to give into it, right? And I'm going to cause them to fall so that I can make sure that they don't affect the kingdom of God. I'm going to cause them to fall so that they, they don't have any influence over other people. And if they have no influence over other people, then I don't have to worry about them leading anybody to Jesus. I don't have to worry about them growing the kingdom of God, right? That's the devil's perspective. This is our perspective. Lord, this is something I would rather not have to deal with. So God's like, this is your opportunity for growth, kid. Man, not, come here, knock it out of the park, kid. This, this is it. This is what's going to take your character from here to here. When you pass this test, this is it. And the devil's going, this is it. This is what's going to take him out. This is what's going to shut him down. Man, he's been way too vocal about Jesus lately. I need to get him back on the drugs. He's been way too, she's been way too vocal about Jesus lately. I need to get her back into sexual sin so that she shuts her mouth and just walks around with her head down in shame. 
Man, they've been way too vocal about Jesus lately, and they're so proud of their marriage that God gave them. I'm going to go ahead and mess that up so that they walk around with their head down thinking they can't do anything for God ever again because that marriage failed. I'm going to mess them up. And then our perspective in the moment is, what did I do? Like, why, why am I dealing with this? God, just take it. You know, God, I don't want to deal with this. So, so maybe we need to change our perspective. And not like Ray Boltz changed his perspective to the devil's perspective. And not like other people who are less famous oftentimes on a daily basis change their perspective to the devil's perspective. But maybe we need to change our perspective to the divine perspective. In this moment, I recognize that I have a temptation. In this moment, God, it's really, really, really difficult to say no. In this moment, God, I'm struggling. So God, show me a glimpse. Show me a glimpse on the other side of this temptation. God, give me strength. Pray for me, Jesus, like you prayed for Peter, that, that his strength wouldn't fail. That the devil desired to sift him, but you prayed that his strength wouldn't fail. Lord, Jesus, pray for me that my strength would not fall. Pray for me today, Lord, that I can come out the other side of this. And like Peter, who came out the other side, and preached a sermon, and 3,000 people got saved. Peter came out of denying Christ to just a, a few months later preaching a message and starting the first mega church. <laughs> Ain't God good? I got a friend of mine, Daryl Ponder, up in Minnesota, and I haven't seen him in years now. And he and his wife would, would be at some conferences that Jessica and I would be at. And Daryl was this big football player-looking man. And whenever God was doing something, he would barrel out in this deep Daryl voice. And he'd say, ain't God good? And the whole place would go, woo! Recognize and understand in those moments of temptations, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. What? I thought I was the only one that was struggling with this. I, I've been walking around with my head down in shame because I thought I was the only one that dealt with this situation. You, you, mean, you mean right here in Scripture it tells me if there's other people dealing with what I deal with? Yes. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And look at the next one. What's the next line? We can read it from the screen. Is it up there, guys? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And God is faithful. Next time you're experiencing temptation and you don't think you can bear it, you don't think you can bear up under it, you don't think you can change it, you don't think you can say no to it, I want you to get your deepest Daryl Ponder voice on. And say, ain't God good? Say, yet, God is faithful. What's the next line say? He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. 
stand with me, church. Go ahead and stretch. Stomp your feet, whatever you got to do. I want you to look at somebody that you came with. If you didn't come with somebody, look at somebody across the aisle and say to them, no matter what, there's always an exit. I want you to get that in your spirit today, church. No matter what, there's always an exit. Scripture, the gospel, is empirically true. And it just told you that no matter what comes your way, there's always an exit. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this place.